Welcome to The Pen in the Stone. I am your host, Alan, a.k.a. Sacred Haiku. And away we go. And we're back with another episode of The Pen in the Stone. Thank you for listening in. And today I am not alone once again. I have a very different guest. Usually I have poets, but this time I have a a man who's able to create art out of leather, Mr. Colin Murdy. How you doing, sir? Doing well. Thanks for having me. And I I really love everything you do with uh well first of all, everyone he he creates notebooks, pretty much leather bound notebooks and the quality is amazing. I'm not getting paid to say that. I actually do love it. It was a birthday <laughs> gift by my wife. <laughs> and as I was saying to you before, Colin, like, you know, I don't normally click on uh, Instagram or you know social media advertisements, but I did not. I was not disappointed, <laughs> you know, with this, and I really love. Well, I'm do. really glad to hear that. I'm really glad to hear that. We, um, you know, we tried. I, I was when I was starting the company off, and you know, I've been making books since high school. I really liked doing it, and and you know, the company had a pretty, has a pretty good startup story, but particularly with our our attitude towards advertising and i think it's something that a lot of you know i think artists struggle with but i went to school for it so i had a little bit of a leg up there um but one of the things that i, I really wanted to focus on with our advertising was building a genuine community with people being mm-hmm. able to say we're gonna we're gonna promote posts and we're gonna run ads that are centered around actually using the journals and building you know a community around that because that's something that i think people are far more interested interested in and have a much more I think realistic affinity for than just you should buy this because it's cool. I think yeah. you should buy this because it helps. And I think that was a, that's a much deeper message. So I'm really glad that the advertising worked and that we got connected. And you know, it's been awesome to, to be able to create these journals. Yeah. What, what, I mean, I remember you, you have a podcast too. Um, I watch it, you know, all the time. And I remember you had an episode where you talked about, um, you know, you quit your job and you pretty much were in corporate America and then, <laughs> you dropped that and now you're doing this full time. Absolutely. I, um, so yeah, definitely go check out the podcast. Uh, it's, it's murdycreative.co, just like our website, M U R D Y creative.co. Um, that's the name of the podcast. And I talk about building my company and, and, you know, it was actually when I started the podcast, it was last August or it was actually technically August of 2018 now. Um, and I was at the time still working my full-time corporate job and i mean you know i think there is a if if you can be in the corporate world if you can enjoy that it's and and there are definitely people who like that there's a lot of people who enjoy the routine they enjoy the people they work with they like the structure they like being able to to follow good leaders and i I think you know if you can enjoy that and, and you can really live that out that's that can be a wonderful life for a lot of people um but for me i I didn't like it mostly because I really enjoy developing new things. And I think there's a a very true issue that good large corporate companies in America, but all over the world have. And that is when uh, they're kind of slow moving, right? There's a, Mm -hmm. there's a direction that they're heading and it's, it's for better or worse, right? There's good parts to having a direction, right? Having a heading and a purpose and a plan. Those are all very valuable things. Um, But sometimes in a larger organization, it can be difficult for that organization to, to, to try new things, to you know, jump out on a limb. Um, because I think that they're, they're not willing necessarily to risk 
tearing down what's working right now to build what's going to work next. I've talked about that a couple of times in my podcast. And I think that's, you know, that was where for me, I, I just, I, I found myself at times kind of running into walls because, you know, I wanted to try something new. I wanted to move into a different place. I wanted to to, to try to see something, something grow or something, you know, evolve from a company perspective. And it wasn't really happening. And I got frustrated with that. I think as most people would in that position. When we, when you have a creative mind, it's, it is really restraining if you're trying to think outside the box, but yet you're conforming to pretty much someone else's ideology in a sense. And it's very restricting and draining, I'm sure, you know, especially working, Absolutely. especially working in that environment. Well, and I think for a lot of creative people, um, you know, I, I will say that at my, at my, my corporate job, I had a wonderful mentor who I really looked up to and he was a very, very creative person um, but without the entrepreneurial spirit. So he was someone, and actually that's probably not giving him enough credit. He probably did have the entrepreneurial spirit, but uh, he didn't have the <laughs> reckless impulsivity that I had when it came to just going and doing it. So, <laughs> but he was a very creative guy. And, and I think, um, you know, he, he was in a unique position where he was able to temper his, well, not, what's the right, he was able to temper his impulsivity and was able to channel his creativity in the realm that he lived in, in the corporate structure. And I think for him, it worked out really, really well. So, you know, I do feel that there's a lot of people out there, you know, that I interacted with when I was in high school and in college who were very creative people who felt like, well, I can never, you know, I can never find a job as a creative person doing creative things because, you know, artists never make any money or there's all things. And, and, you know, I think, you know, it's, it really comes down to, are you as a person able to channel your creativity towards a specific goal that you may not have set. And if you can, then there might be a wonderful opportunity to have a very fun, creative life in a corporate world or in a, you know, in a, in a job that's set suited for that. However, if you find yourself like I did, um, you know, not particularly good at taking instruction and feeling very strongly <laughs> that you have the abilities to, to do better, um, then you might need to go a, a more entrepreneurial route, which is not necessarily by any stretch of the imagination easier. Yeah. yeah Cause I mean, I'm, I'm sure it was scary, you know, especially with the family. Uh, Cause you were, you were married and at that time, weren't I was. And I mean, it was definitely scary. I, I am very blessed to have an incredible wife who was from the get go, very supportive. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, when I was doing my, I started the company in February of 2018 and all it was 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 selling one type of journal in one color on Amazon. That was it. Mm, okay. uh, we didn't have a website. I didn't really have much branding. I mean, I'd, done, I'd, I'd gone to school for marketing. That was my undergrad, so I kind of knew what I needed to do. Mm -hmm. But I also knew that to develop the, the company the way I wanted to, I didn't really want to have outside capital. I didn't want to have investors. I didn't want to have partners. I wanted it to be my vision and my execution. And to do that, you need money. And so you start with what you can sell, right? So I knew that. I could sell on Amazon and I could create something that would fit in that market well. And we launched that and it was, it was a rocky start. I mean, the beginning, I didn't spend really any money on marketing. Right. And so we started selling on Amazon and it was really a blessing because my wife uh, was a cosmetologist by trade and she actually ended up leaving her previous work environment to come and do, um, to work at the company. And so I was still at my corporate job, which was, uh, was it was good and that provided financial stability that allowed us to not necessarily need to take money out of the company in the first couple of months. Mm -hmm. um, and it was the company was small enough that Leah was able to essentially run everything from the very beginning. She did 
all of the customer service. She worked on putting together all of the boxes for Amazon. She made the product. It was wonderful. And I, I helped kind of shape the marketing on my side of things. But for the most part, it was her doing all of the production. So I had an incredibly, incredibly supportive partner in all of this. And, and that was actually really key in, in building this and making this work in the long run. Um, and, and she's been by my side this whole time. So that's been very, very helpful. But yeah, it was stressful. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, actually it was funny because it was stressful, but I don't necessarily think it was less stressful than my day job. And, and the part of the reason why is because there's this, what, uh, it's a healthy, there's, there's a healthy stress. Fa- yeah. And, and there's this fallacy that I think everyone has that they, that we need, right? We believe that if I have a job, I'm going to have a job tomorrow. Right. Right. We, we believe that we need to believe that because right. if we spend every day going, I don't know if I'm going to have a job tomorrow, that'd be an incredibly stressful and degrading way to live your life. You'd, right. you'd fall apart and for good reason. Yeah. Right. And so um, there's a great philosopher that always talked about how um, we don't know if what we're really living in is, is real, but we, we act like it is because if we, it, but because to do otherwise would just be mad. Right. And so, you know, it's that same kind of thing with jobs where people are like, well, if I have a job today, I'll have a job tomorrow. And that's just not true, right? That you could be fired, at least particularly where I'm living, at, at, for any reason or no reason at any point in time, right? Like people can just be, can just lose their job. Well, the fact that they're and if you being can comfortable, kind of, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you. Yeah, I, I, no, I, I think that's, that's, and that's where if you say to yourself, well, if I, I, I could lose my job tomorrow, then all of a sudden it changes the stress of setting out on your own. And in fact, I think, you know, setting out on your own can in some ways be far more, um, far less stressful than saying I could lose my job tomorrow because then it's up to you. Right. And that's both terrifying, but empowering to say that, you know, your success or failure is built off of your actions and not the effects or actions of others. Right. So it's, you know, it's, it's funny too. Um, was uh, were you listening to Gary V at that time, or was that like the one motivating <laughs> <laughs> energy? That, yeah, or? it's funny. I um, I had uh, I'd started listening to Gary after I started working at uh, my corporate job, and I I love Gary. I think Gary is awesome for people who are not sure if they should do it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got a lot of really intense motivating capability, and his, his preaching about gratitude and empathy as the foundation of good business is. Mm-hmm on in every way um i will say that there i i don't listen to gary v as much at, at the moment now mostly because he can be a little intense and um you know it, it, so so that i, I did I, did, I to be honest i did back off a little bit from him but uh, i definitely think that he was really pivotal at that time to helping me get going get started and realize that you know there's no reason why i couldn't do it there wasn't any advantage to waiting right there's there's <laughs> There's this problem that I think a lot of artists and I'm sure as a poet, you understand this, where you're waiting for something to be perfect, uh-huh, uh-huh. and you're like, oh, once it's perfect, then I'll get I'll get it out there. Once it's perfect, then I'll launch it. Yeah. And um, it's never going to be perfect. There's never it's it's impossible on this earth for us to attain per- perfection. That's that's not possible. And right. so if we wait for the perfect product, if we wait for the perfect moment, if we wait for the perfect thing, we're never going to get there. Mm-hmm. We have to we have to just do. We have to go out there and do it. And you know. Jordan Peterson is another person I listen to. I really like him as a clinical psychologist. Yeah. He pointed out that, you know, it's better to do something badly than to not do it at all. And I think that's absolutely true. Mm-hmm. And I think for everyone, you know, it's, nobody, nobody sits down at the piano and just is a genius, right? Nobody, nobody picks up a, a, a paintbrush and starts painting and is 
flawless from the beginning, right? Like everyone starts off doing things really, really bad. And yeah, it's yeah. through experience, it's through practice that you get better. So, you know, I, I think that that's something that, uh, that, 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 that is comforting for those who are like, well, I'm not sure if I can. Well, no, no, neither is anybody else. So, you know, it's not like you're behind the ball when it comes to trying to figure out if you can or not. Right. And the, I mean, some of the greats now, um, you don't, you didn't see them when they were coming up trying to, you know, let's say, um, I like I said, I like to go go on uh, comedic comedians and follow their pathway a lot, and we see them on the high in the front of light stage making you know great money, but we didn't see them you know at the clubs in the dirt grinding trying to make their way up, but yet we assume that they're so great they were great all the time because <laughs> we're seeing them how they yeah. are. <laughs> Well, and I think for us, particularly living in the world we live in, and I think this is something that is actually very new, I think, in human psyche, uh, and it's, it's the world of the internet. I mean, mm-hmm. everyone talks about that. But, and, they, and I think it's funny because a lot of my generation, I'm, I'm 25, a lot of my generation kind of dismisses the internet as saying, well, it's just a thing that always, it's obviously something we've always had forever, and all people are like that, right? But, you know, it's, it's interesting because I do think that, you know, before the internet, and really before, like, if you think about radio and television, mm-hmm. before those really became widespread, which is, by the way, most of human history, you as an individual would maybe interact with, what, what, was, the, what was the statistic, like 30 people on a regular basis, right? Mm-hmm. That, that, was, that was kind of your life. And if you were an adult and you lived in a rural area, it might be more, it might be less, right? So people didn't interact with, with, um, with greatness the way that we interact with it now in a very real and living way. For them, greatness was Wittenberg is in books, right? Mm-hmm. And that's to some extent a little bit um, disconnected. I mean, there's obviously a human element to reading and writing, but it's not like you're watching someone on stage or on television performing live where you can be like, wow, that's a human doing that, right? So mm-hmm. there was a little bit of a disconnect from genius. And I think the challenge that, that people in our world have to face now is saying, you know, you, gotta, you can't compare yourself to the, the people that are, you know, the comedians on Netflix. Because mm-hmm. to be honest, Right, that's that's a level of greatness that that is beyond what most of your life will ever achieve and ever attain. And if you only say, "Well, I'm not, I'm not going to do it if I can't be them," well, that's that's a that's a recipe for unhappiness and disaster that will follow you for the rest of your life. You've got to be able to say, "I'm going to do the best that I can for me," and I'm going to continue to strive to do better. And I'm not going to say that I'm going to compare myself to the to the best of the best. And the internet has, for better or worse created an environment where all we ever see is just the top one-tenth of one percent of humanity when it comes to, you know, in many ways, creative creative capabilities. Yeah, um, Eric, Eric Thomas uh, said that um, you watch greatness, you watch the basketball player, you watch uh, singers, rappers, um, all these people do great things because you feel that you're great as well, but you're not doing anything about it. You're feeding off of their their greatness, and it makes you feel better, so you go about your normal daily life. And it's you know, I'm paraphrasing, but well, yeah. And I think that's true. And that's funny because there's a great psychological experiment where, um, what is it? It's, it's watching human reactions to, uh, videos of people being hurt of some kind. And what happens is if you watch the faces of people watching people being hurt, you can immediately see empathy. Like you see the pain in their face mm-hmm. and the humans, I think have a very unique ability to empathize and, and, embody other people that we're watching like we watch I mean, I don't, I, i'm not the only one i know this for a fact i go and watch iron man 
you know, in the Avengers movies and I'm Iron Man, right? Like that's right, who I am. Right. I'm that person, <laughs> right? And, and that's, that's, it, that can be wonderfully motivating, wonderfully encouraging, and at the same time, incredibly disheartening if you say to yourself, well, I'm not, it, when you take a look at yourself, well, I'm not that person. But, you know, I, and, and I think that that's where we have a unique ability to experience greatness. And that's why, you know, it's funny. We, we spend a lot of money, a lot of money watching people play basketball, right? We're not even right. watching, we're not even playing basketball. We're not even spending the money to play basketball. We're watching other people play and we're spending the money to do that. But it's because we can live vicariously through their capabilities, mm -hmm. through their expertise. Mm -hmm. And that's, I mean, that's incredible. I, I, that's an incredible experience. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny you say, it, you know, you watch it and you're saying, you're saying, oh, this person's great or this person did a horrible job. And the, the comment section is full of, those who never even probably touched a basketball, but they're explaining, I, sh I would have done this. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think that, I think that it's never more true than in sports. I think you see that in sports all the time. And, you know, it's funny because I think that there's this concept that, and, and actually it's, I think you see a lot of this in um, computer games in, 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 in uh, strategy games in general, where it's like, well, there's this possibility that you could play this perfect game. Mm-hmm. Um, and in my business school, my, in my master's degree, they, they had a, one of the capstone projects was to, uh, play out this, it was, it was literally a computerized simulation of a business. And you would every week, it was a, it was a master's course. So it was an eight week course. Every week we would basically be presented with what had happened this week in our business. And we would have to kind of say, okay here's how we're going to change what we're doing. We're, here's how we're going to change the money we spend. Here's how we're going to change the marketing we're doing. Here's how we're going to change this and that. You would have all of these infinite number of dials to turn and press. Um, and then you'd come back the next week and the computer would munch on what you did and figure out how it would have turned out theoretically mm -hmm. in the real world. Mm -hmm. And then you'd come back and you'd get a new week. And by the end of it, like the idea was that by the end of this eight week course, you, you know, whoever was the person that did the best, they got an A, the person who did next best got a B. That, and that was how they did the grading. And it was actually, so it was incredibly competitive okay. um, in that regard. And it was, it was this infinitely complex scenario. And it was funny because there was a lot of people who would really stress over how to play the perfect game, mm. right? Mm -hmm. And how to, how to make all of the variables perfect. And at the same time that I was finishing up this class, I was actually working on developing and starting my first company which came before this one and i was in the real world experiencing similar similar things that i was seeing in the simulation but unlike the simulation the real world didn't happen in a predictable way not even remotely right you know too many variables was the game there was some there was way too many variables and i think that's where I, I think for me you know and i would encourage every entrepreneur out there who is trying to to plot out and plan out their company or, or, or artists in general who are trying to plot out and plan out the future. Uh, I think there's a certain level of, of, you have to be willing to be flexible and let it go because you're not going to be able to play the perfect game. You're not going to be able to create the perfect thing. Yeah. Uh, and, and this, this, this world of perfection that you create will, will only lead to your disappointment. So you have to be okay. just doing your best. Yeah. And your best may not be the idealized version of your best in your mind, right? Mm -hmm. Like you, you know, there's always, I could always be spending more time on my company. That's always the case. I could, I could never watch Netflix. I could never sleep. I could always work on my company. And we probably would be doing better. Mm -hmm. But we might not be. Right. We could probably be doing a lot worse, too. Yeah. So, you know, you have to be, at some point, you have to be okay with your limitations as a human. 
and we have limitations. We are embodied creatures that have, you know, needs that go beyond food, sleep, and all that other stuff. Like there are, there's entertainment needs, there's relaxation needs. But so you have to be able to understand your boundaries and your structure as a human and, and say, I'm going to be okay with my best as it really manifests. And if you're not doing your best, that's up to you. You can change. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just, I'm gonna, I just want to backpedal real quick to when you were talking about how your wife was um, pretty much, you know, taking care of the things while you were at work and you, you guys were building it together. Uh, I just want to say, because my wife is helping me, she, she pushed me without really saying anything, but she pushed me um, through her support of me uh, into doing this podcast, um, doing better with my writing, my poetry and being the support um, with me growing. So, I just want to say thank you to the wives out there who have their husbands back. <laughs> you know, we, we appreciate yeah. you. Um, but with that, you know, I know certain, we're, we're, we're lucky that we have someone who is behind us, you know, that we weren't alone in this in the journey uh, to where we're going. And a lot of people, I know their excuse is going to be, well, I'm all alone in this and I'm scared and I know everything might be perfect, but I just want it to be, Better than I want it to be. I they're envisioning something that may not be perfect, but they're they're, they're so fixated on that vision that they kind of it blurs their sight as they're trying to get there to where it no longer looks like it, so they don't know what to do. Well, that's an interesting dilemma. I think there's um, it's a great experiment called the Gorilla Experiment, and it's it's a two teams. There's a, a white team and a black team, and they're wearing shirts, and it's usually like three people in this experiment. It's been done a variety of ways, but what they'll do is they'll have the viewer sit down and look at the television, and they'll watch as the different teams pass the ball. There's a ball that, that moves around the, the, the screen, mm. and you, the, the teams pass the ball to each other, and they can count how many times the um, ball gets passed. Okay. And then at the very end of it, they'll they'll say how many times did the ball get passed, and people will say like thirty four, and then the the person will say, well, did you see the gorilla? And fifty percent okay. of the time, the people will say no, because what ended up happening was is the video is sixty second long, about thirty five seconds. A gorilla, a person in a gorilla suit, walks into the middle of the screen, stands there for a few seconds, beats on his chest, and then walks out. <laughs> and think- half of the participants won't say that they saw it. They won't see it. And there's this interesting, I mean, a lot of the research, there's been more research to support this, but the concept really is that what we fixate on, what we focus on as our goals, shapes the way we see reality. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of research to support that. And it, there's some of the research talks about how it's like, well, we're tool creatures. We're creatures that use tools to mm-hmm. accomplish goals. Right. And so the way we see the world is we see the world as tools to ato- accomplish goals. And so how we set our goals shapes the way that we see the world because we see the tools differently depending on what goals we're going for, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's a lot of people that you talk about, like you mentioned, who are feeling very alone in the world. And they're saying, okay, this is this vision that I've set for myself. I want to achieve it. You know, and I don't know how to achieve it or I don't know what to achieve it or I, I don't know, you know, I feel alone in doing this. And what I would say is embrace the advantages that you have. Mm-hmm. Because there are advantages that you have with your life situation, period, right? If you're married or if you have a strong relationship with someone who is supporting you, use that. Lean on them for support. If you're alone, use the fact that you don't have to support someone else or you don't have to, you know, 
ask for permission as it were, or, you know, use that as your advantage, right? Because every person in their unique situation comes to the table with advantages that they may or may not be aware of, right? That loneliness can be an advantage. And it's not often thought of that way, but being able to say that you're by yourself, all of a sudden, really then all of a sudden it's really what are you willing to do right right? because when you're with someone when you're in a relationship it's not so much what are you willing to do it's what are we willing willing to sacrifice what are we willing to do right but if you're alone it's what are you willing to do are you willing to like gary v says are you willing to sleep on a couch with five other roommates eat nothing but ramen so you can pour (laughs) your money into your company right like you have that ability if you're by yourself but you don't have that ability if you're working if you're you're with someone because you know your your needs and their needs play into the factor so Take your advantages for what you can. And if you say, well, you know, here's another example that comes up a lot. I, I have no money, right? How can mm-hmm. I start a company with no money? Right. Or, you know, I am a minority of some kind. And I, I, I feel that, you know, whether it be, you know, uh, racial or, or ethnic or, or, or um, gender, like I feel like I'm a mi- minority. Right. Here's the point, though. That can provide you with a unique perspective. Mm-hmm. We actually, as a company, I know many of you have, you know, who have been following the company, who have looked at stuff. I've actually gotten people who sent me messages just saying, you know, why, why does your marketing cater to X, Y, and Z, right? And the answer is, it doesn't really. A lot of our pictures are just journals. But right. for the most part, is you know, there, there is, there is to some extent a truth to say that the marketing that I create is designed for people who are like me. Yeah. And the answer is because that's what I know, right? right? So if you find yourself being in a position where you know you're alone or you're a minority or you find something that you you think it's a disadvantage, turn that into your advantage, right? Yeah, yeah. Because maybe you have a perspective that will appeal to a market that I could never appeal to, right? Yeah. Maybe you've got a perspective or a product or a concept or a, an understanding of a market that is totally unique and is really valuable and is untapped. And that and there's a ton, a ton of historical entrepreneurs, artists, creators who have used the fact that they know their own uh, that they know their own culture, their own people to their advantage to, to be able to build a community that is really strong and really supportive and has led to massive success that they then used as a springboard to go on to bigger things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And, and I know, you know, you've had a recent experience with um, kind of like that negative time. Cause I remember hearing you talk about uh, the Christmas uh, rush that you had. And I think you said that, uh, our shipment wasn't getting out, so you had to drive to pick it, pick up the delivery, and, and deliver it yourself or something. I can't. Well, oh, that was a whole story. It was just last, <laughs> so Christmas time is the worst. I actually, if I was able to change one thing about this world, I would change. I would say that we should have Christmas every month, uh-huh. and everyone should give gifts every month of the year because <laughs> this whole thing where we do where we do gifts one month out of the year is right. really, really difficult, stressful for businesses like mine. But um, but yeah, so so Christmas is always hectic, uh, and our gifts, our our journals are like the perfect gift to give, particularly for the hard person to give a gift to, mm-hmm. right? Because, and I and I'm, I mean I'm completely biased here, but I'll I'll give you my I'll I'll give you my points, and, and we'll see if everyone agrees. I'm, I'm with you. Our gifts are, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So for those of you who don't know our journals, go check them out, MurdyCreative.co. But we make really nice leather journals, binders, folios, and now we got an accessory lines that we're launching as well. Um, Ooh, okay. And so, yeah, so the, uh, the leather, so we started with the binders. Those are designed for three post binding. So you can put regular paper in them. You know, you can use them as a platform. They work with regular print paper. You can use them as a platform to build a custom planner, a custom notebook. You've got forms you want to fill out that are like 
special to your job, you want to build your own creative template, whatever it is, that's the place to do it. You build it in the binder. Um, and, and that was our first product. And then we launched our journals, which were, that's the merge number two. And the journals are the same essential design, but in a couple of different sizes. And the reason why was because the number one binder doesn't lay flat because of the post. So it's mm-hmm. a really slim profile. It's really beautiful, but it doesn't lay flat. So there are some people, and I absolutely am one of them, who said, no, I really want to work on a flat surface. So we launched our journal line, right? And that uses a cool... Uh, insert like a, I mean, it can use a variety of inserts like Moleskins or Loistrums or other popular brands, mm-hmm. and then it lays flat. And then we launched our folios, which were really designed to kind of cater to that corporate environment where there's you know legal pads. There are a lot of people like working on legal pads, and yeah. um, you know they're designed to hold a lot of different paper that's just in pockets and things like that. So we launched that. So all of our stuff was made from incredibly is made from incredibly high quality leather that's made in the United States, it's actually made locally. I know the tannery. I work with them. We have custom stuff. It really allowed us to make the best quality leather products. And we make the leather specifically for our products. And it's because of that, there's this really beautiful, um, that's what I want to say. There is something to be said about when you take and you turn raw materials into a specific product and you make those raw materials for that product. It really allows for everything to be just the best. Um, and so for us, you know, this, the product line that we have, I think is really good for gifts because if you're trying to find a gift to give someone, you want it to be something that's not cheap, right? but isn't too expensive. You want to find something that is usable and is something that they're going to find use for. You're going to want to find something that could potentially be personalized to make it special for them and make it their own. And you want it to be something that every time they pick it up for the next the rest of their life, they're going to be proud to have it. They're going to love to have it. And they're going to think of you fondly, right? Those, right, are the, right? those are the major elements of giving a good gift. And there's a lot of people who are hard to get gifts for. So you know, this is a, something that, you know, beyond the obvious, obvious mental health benefits of journaling and writing, you know, it's a good gift. So we see a lot of business during the Christmas season, particularly. Right. And that's always stressful as a business owner because for us, <laughs> weather is not something you can just go pick up at your local Walmart, right? Like you, you got to get it made in advance and it takes like four to six weeks for it to get finished because of the process that's involved in tanning leather. Mm. And, you know, we, we uh, also have a, a local third party cutting partner that we use that uses a, a CNC driven auto knife, which is a, it's a fancy high end rotating blade that's designed specifically so that it's incredibly precise. So we have the auto knife cut out the parts out of the leather and it uses really cool mapping software to make sure that we get like the most yield out of the parts. So there's little, as less as small a waste as possible. And you know, it's a whole science behind it, but the, so the parts take time to cut though. So there's a lead time there. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. And then you have, and then you have, so now you've got inventory that you've got to buy months in advance and it sits on the shelf for a little while, or maybe it doesn't for very long because the Christmas season ramps up. And then suddenly all the predictions about what you thought was going to be the big sellers, they're all wrong because there's, they're all wrong because no idea, you have no idea what's going to sell well. Right. And so suddenly, you know, you're out of stock of stuff and things are coming in. And, and the big issue for us was this year, you know, we had to set a deadline because you want to, you want to be able to promise people, Hey, if you get your order into us by this date, we're going to be able to get your order delivered before Christmas. Because right, right. That's what people really want to know. And it's a good question. You know, and it, it helps us because it also sets parameters on the other side, which is all right, team, all right, production people. This is what we've got. You know, the deadline is now passed. This is the orders we have to get out by this deadline to make sure that they arrive. Right. Like it creates parameters so that at the, last minute we don't have people frantically trying to figure out what they're going to do at least that's the theory yeah. so 
this year we set it originally for December 18th, which was like the Wednesday before the Saturday that was the last day for shipping. So the Postal Service um, sets deadlines for when you got to get the packages to them but so that they can deliver it by Christmas. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So that, that deadline is always kind of the first step for us. It's like, all right, so that's the dead deadline. Then we look at the calendar and we say, okay, what are the worst days of the week? How many days do we think we're going to need in advance? And how many books do we think we can make a day with what we've got as far as production and staffing going? And that helps us kind of determine what, what day we think is going to be our deadline. And this We started at the, at the 18th. By December 11th, we're like, we're not going to be able to make the 18th. That's going to be, we're, we're going to have too many orders that are going to come in between now and then. So we moved up to the 16th and we sent out emails to try to notify people. And so the 16th uh, has come and gone. And the problem is that we had to order, like, for example, um, all of our, our number twos and our number threes, our journals and our folios come with a stainless steel Parker jotter pen, right? It's my favorite pen to use. And they were originally made in my hometown. The, the company, Parker Pen, the Parker Pen Company, was a major player in my, my hometown growing up. And um, the problem is they don't, they don't, they're not made anymore in the United States, so we have to get them from overseas. So there's like a time that, that there's, like, takes time for the, the pens to get to us. And so we have to order them in advance. And oh, by the way, international shipping over the Christmas season is also kind of nebulous and a little bit over, I'm sure. um, over, over complicated. And and then there's also some new uh, trade regulations and restrictions that come into play. That means that certain things have to go through tariff restrictions. And so there's like it becomes more complicated all at the same time. Mm. And so it's like a December 11th, and I'm like, all right, well, we're going to need more pens. We're going to need a lot more pens. So I put in an order with our supplier then, and I'm like, we need to have these pens no later than. The 19th and the 20th. That's the Thursday and the Friday, because um, we're doing two orders back to back. So the Thursday and the Friday, but we need to have because so because Saturday was the last day to ship before Christmas. So I'm like, if we can get the pens in shop Thursday or Friday, um, we'll be able to get all these order orders made and sent out, and we'll be good to go. We'll even be able to get them out a little bit early, so we have a little bit of time so that you know, yeah, there's just a little bit more time for the post office in case they need some extra margin. And that was the plan. And things never go according to plan. So we <laughs> suddenly so had a big swell at the last at the last minute, which was an issue. So the pens, the, actually, so the pens were coming in two different shipments, and the first shipment got there early, like it got there on Monday. I'm like, this is great. We're going to be able to get a ton of our orders out. We're going to mm-hmm. get most of them out. And the second shipment was supposed to arrive Thursday, which originally was supposed to arrive Friday. So I'm like, all right. So the first shipment got here wildly early, and the next shipment's going to get here a day early. Everything's going to be perfect. Everything's going to be great. So we get most of the orders out that we could with that first shipment. We go through all of our pens. And now we've got – and the team, by the way, is uh, – we, we, we built an extraordinary team this year, this Christmas. They did a phenomenal job. They were incredibly effective. They were very, very good. And that was the first time for us as a company. Like, up until this point, it's been myself, my wife, and our one employee – uh, and like one other part-time person who helps occasionally. But this Christmas, we ended up having, I think, myself, my wife, our full-time person, and like four or five part-time people help out. And okay. when I say part-time, they were, they were still working like 25, 30 hours. They were, they were here a lot. So we, we ended up really scaling up our, our, our operation, which was another challenge at the same time because obviously you've got to train people, which was the first time we had to train people. We had to figure out how to optimize our production process and schedule because obviously there's, you know, a lot of new people who are doing a lot of new things. Maybe we can, you know, figure out how to make this work a little bit better. So we're in the midst of scaling that up. But by by this point in the the year, by December, you know, that week of December, the team had gotten really good. They were fast. They were efficient. They were we were able to make everything. So by Thursday, Thursday morning, the team basically had everything done except 
So everything was ready to go, except everything needed pens. So everything was in the final stages. And was, we're talking like hundreds of orders that, was, was that, that are that, sitting around. Was that that pile that uh, you took a picture of, the video you took? Yeah, that, yeah, that ended up going out. We put a picture on our Instagram. I'll, I'll get to the end of that because that's at the end of the story. But oh, okay, yeah, okay. It, it, that pile basically was all um, was all in, and I did a video I think on Instagram too, of the various piles of journals just in their final stage with their order tickets just waiting for pens. Mm-hmm. And it's Thursday about noon, and we had we had called them and we said, "All right, because um, because they the the pens were supposedly in Milwaukee, right? They were at the, the distribution center in Milwaukee on Thursday, and they arrived Thursday." And I said, "Okay." I called them. I said, "Okay, so they're supposed to be delivered today, and they're in Milwaukee. Are you guys going to be able to get them on a truck and get them out?" And they said, "Nope, we're going to have to deliver. We're going to get them on a truck tomorrow." And I said, "Well, all right, we'll do that then." And and I said, okay, if you guys can get it here earlier in the day, then we're able to get it out. And so I'm like, all right. So Thursday, we just kind of finished up the last little bit. Thursday, we went home. Friday, we're waiting for people to come. We're going to say, okay, guys, come in. The pens will get here in the morning. We'll get everything made. We'll get everything shipped out. And we won't have to come into work Saturday, which is what we had planned on doing because that was the deadline. So that was the plan. Suddenly, I find myself on Friday that it's 4.30 p.m. Oh. Uh, and the, the pens haven't shown up yet. And I'm sitting there going, okay. So I call the customer service and I say, okay, they're on the truck. They say they're going to be delivered. Can you give me an estimated time of when they're going to be delivered? Because if they're going to be delivered soon, I'm going to have my people stay late and we'll finish it up and then we won't come in Saturday. If they're not going to be delivered soon, then we'll try something else. And I said, it'll be delivered within the next two hours. I said, okay, well, I went, I went to Merrill, who's the head of production. I went to the team. I said, all right, guys, here's the deal. Because they basically were basically done at that point. I said, you know, how about this? I'll buy dinner for everybody. We'll, we'll have a party tonight. We'll, we'll, we'll wait till the pens get here. They're going to be here in the next two hours. So we'll finish everything up tonight. We'll go home late and it'll be good. Right? Right, right. And suddenly, and so we did that. And 7 o'clock comes and all of a sudden they get a notification that the pens have, no, have now been, are now sitting in the distribution center in Milwaukee. Oh, come on. And I'm calling customer service saying, what, what's going on? He said they were going to be delivered. And they said they couldn't deliver them that night because they uh it was getting too late for their route and i'm like well first off you guys told us they were going to be delivered so that's a problem and then i said well how about this you know am i can i go pick them up tonight can i go drive down to the distribution center and get them tonight and they said well the distribution center is closed and i said well what about tomorrow and they said well the distribution center isn't normally open on saturday morning and i said okay well how about this can you let them know that i'd like to come down and pick up the pens in the more you know tomorrow morning you know saturday morning and and, and, you know, send them an email. They said, okay, so we'll send them an email. We'll send an email to have them call you that morning as soon as they get in. And you guys can, you can talk directly with the distribution center to figure out what strategy you'll be. And so I said, fine. I mean, if that's the best we can do, that's the best we can do. I'm obviously going to bed sweating bullets because yeah. this is like, we're talking hundreds of orders that, are no, that, were, that got in before the deadline and they're not going to be delivered if we can't make this work. And, you know, what do you do at that point, right? What, what are your options? So, that morning, I get up. They, I know the distribution center supposedly opens at nine for like I know that, but they're, cl- they're closed on Saturday. Like they are closed to public on Saturday, but yeah. supposedly they're they're at nine. Yeah. So I get in my car and I start driving, and I'm like, I don't know. I mean, somebody will be there, right? I'll start pounding on doors if I have. To. <laughs> so I, they never called me. By the way, they never called my my phone number in the email. I don't know if they ever saw that, but um, so I'm I'm driving down there and I say, well, I'm just going to start hopping and puffing and blow the doors down because I know my package is there. Right, right. And I pull up to the back side of this, this warehouse, and there's a truck, a DHL truck idling. 
And obviously there's this guy looking at in his truck looking over his route, like, you know, what you do. And I pull up to him and I, I lower my window and I say, hey, I know this isn't your job. I was wondering if you could help me. And I describe the situation to him. He says, well, I'll see what I can do. We, he walked, he unlocks the door to the back of the warehouse and walks me into the warehouse and goes and finds the manager and says, hey, you know, he explains, he explains to the manager what I'm looking for and why I'm here. The manager says, well, do you have a, do you have a tracking number? And I, I give it to him and he says, well, let's go see if it's here. And he, he walks back to the stack, this big stack of boxes, and I can see from across the warehouse, my box on the top. I know what it looks like. I'm like, that's mine. <laughs> and so I'm able to pick it up. He, he, he lets me scan it out. I pick it up and I drive home. And I get back to the, the workshop at about 10 in the morning, and we need to get now. So now, the, like, the clock is ticking. Everybody's there. I called everyone, and everyone's there. The clock is ticking. Our post office closes at 2. I really don't want to be dropping off these packages because there's hundreds of them, right? right They're not going right. to be happy. So we turn this into an assembly line. We're, like, rapidly packaging, you know, putting boxes together, getting things out. We're trying to get everything out. All the orders are done. Finally, it's about noon, 12.30. All the packages are done. I say, all right, everyone, let's pile them up. We'll take a photo, and then we'll get them to the package. And they, they load them all up in the back of the tr- pickup truck, and they take them to the post office. And yeah. then we had our that afternoon, we had our Christmas party, and we were able to get them all out. But I mean, that was one of those times where it was just like there's where you know, for me, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a, I believe in God, so I'm like, all right, Lord, you got to I don't have a good answer for this. You got to help me out, right? So you know, <laughs> yeah, you yeah. know, there's times where you, for me where I'm just turning it over to God, and I'm like, all right, Lord, if you help me figure this out. That's going to be great because I have no solution for this problem. I have no idea how to figure this out. So, you know, that was one where it really came together really well. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy it did. And we had a lot of customers who were very happy to receive their packages. And, and you know, I had a lot of nice notes. Um, and that was good. You know, that was a time where it came together. And there's plenty of times where it doesn't. But, but sometimes it really does. Yeah. I mean, it's good that, you know, having a good team is important. You know, uh, I, I really appreciate, even though I didn't have an order in there, I really appreciate your communication to your customers and to everybody, your honesty of, hey, this is what's going on. There may be some delays. We're going to try and get out to you as quick as possible. You're very honest about it, which is not many people do. You know, they kind of just like, well, you got your orders. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Well, you know, it's funny. I think that there's this, there's been, I actually don't know where this came from. I mean, maybe it came from kind of the, the old, old manners, kind of old, old manners of business. But, you know, I, I think that there was there's this old premise that it's like, you know, you don't, you, you know, you keep things as quiet as you can, right? You don't, you don't display what's going on behind the scenes. And mm-hmm. people talk about it, well, it's for competitive reasons. But I, I just think that's patently wrong. I think that, that that doesn't make any sense at all, right? Like, because when it comes down to it, this is, we're, we're humans. Like, we're, we're, we're people. We're, we're a community. We're transacting with each other, right? We're, we have a relationship, even if it's a simple one, right? You know, so you're, you're giving me something and I'm giving you something. There's no reason for me to hide what's going on. And I think for companies, particularly in the world of the social media era, it's very easy, right? Like, you know, in the old days, I can understand that it'd be like difficult, right? Before the internet, it'd be difficult to communicate with customers what was going on, right? You can't send a letter every time anything happens, right? Right, right. It's difficult. So now, but in the world we live in now, it's an incredibly easy thing for me to say, okay, you know, Meryl, send me a list of order of emails of the orders of people who are going to be delayed if we need to. And I'm going to send them all an email. And I can actually do that easily. Yeah. You know, I can send them all an email that says, Hey guys, here's what happened. I'm really sorry about it. We're going to do our best to fix it. Send me a message and let's talk about how we can work and making this work. Right. Because it's a relationship. That's what it's about. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. developing a relationship with people. Yeah. I mean, you're so right. You know, speaking on the social media aspect of it. And plus a lot, a lot of things when it comes to with that, People love seeing behind the scenes things. They 
you know, the the murder show, the uh, how things are made. Everybody loves watching that show and seeing how the creator side. So with social media, of seeing you go behind the scenes and showing different segments and being your honesty with that, and then saying those emails out, it it, it, it drives it actually drives people closer to your company. You know, not just well, and it, you know. And there's this old kind of concept where it's like, oh, I don't want to show behind the scenes because people will figure out how it's made and they'll make it. Yeah. And the answer is, having run this business now for almost two years, I can promise you that they're not going to be able to do it because <laughs> I can barely do it, and I'm the one that invented the thing, right? Like, right, right. It's not like if I if I said to someone, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to show you all of how we do our production. I'm going to give you the blueprints to the design. I'm going to, I'm going to send you the email addresses of all of our suppliers and I'm going to tell you what to tell them so you could absolutely copy this product and our production perfectly. They still couldn't run this company because I can barely run it. And I know a lot more about it than they probably would. Cause I got the history. Like it's not easy to do this. Right. And I think a lot of businesses, you know, I, I, I truly believe that a lot of companies are doing themselves a disservice by hiding the ball, like hiding what's happening. Right. Because for example, the products we sell are expensive, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but here's the thing. They're not expensive because I just arbitrarily want them to make a lot of money. They're expensive for a reason. They're expensive because we use the best material. They're expensive because we have precision cutting instruments that use it. They're expensive because we use, you know, inserts and pens that are not cheap and that the labor that we use to hand assemble these is not cheap. We pay our people well, you know, it's, it's like, there's a reason why these things cost money. And for me, being transparent about that and saying, look, you know, if I walk away from, a, if I make a sale and I walk away from that sale with like 10%, I'm happy, right? People all of a sudden, they say, oh, I understand now that it's not, it's not cheap to run, it's not cheap to make these things. And that's why they cost as much money as they do. And that's where, I think that's where transparency and honesty is a huge advantage. And, and, and it's, at the same time, it's also the right thing to do, right? I think, you know, there's, Gary V always says it's always the right thing to do the right thing. That's true. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely true 100% of the time. And guess what? You know what the right thing to do is, right? You really do. People are always like, well, I don't know. You know the right thing. And if, and if you have to think about it really hard, well, then you're probably not doing the right thing because you and your heart of hearts, we as creatures, as humans, have a very deep sense of right and wrong. It's yeah, built into true. us. Yeah. And so it's like if you have, so, so if you say to yourself, you know what? That's not that's the right thing to do. Then then do it, right? Don't don't say get yourself. Go ahead and do it. And if you can't if you can't stay in business doing the right thing, then you're in the wrong business. Yeah, <laughs> I mean you're, you're, the quality that you do have. You know, mentioning you know the you know it's pricey how you bring it all together. You, there's a warmth to these notebooks you have. There's really a warmth to it. And it's funny you mentioned the pens. It was weird receiving. It was weird. I didn't even know there was gonna be a pen in it when I received it. I saw, I was like, oh, this is a nice pen. In my head, I'm like, oh, the pen's probably going to be one of those cheap plastic ones. I'm like, oh, it's, it's metal. <laughs> and I pulled it out, I started writing. I was like, oh, I like this pen. And just the, the minor details like that, um, the the bookmarking that you have on, on here as well, there is this minute detail to each note of the notebooks that I appreciate, you know, when I have mine, I have mine. And I can tell your passion is in you know, in it, and you mentioned someone could t- you can give them the blueprints and in the in the customers, and they're not going to be able to you know do the same thing you do. And the reason for that is because your passion's in it, and it's not there's there's just going to be I'm just copying what he does. And, and when you copy something, well, it's not going to come out the same. <laughs> absolutely, it's not. And this is where I think for me, you know, I love the 1940s. I've always loved that era, and I think mm. that 
part of the reason I love that era is because there was a genuine, I think, very real sense of craftsmanship, both in the people that made things and the people that sold them. And there was this idea that, you know, we're going to make the best product and it's unethical to do anything less, right? It's unethical to sell something that isn't the absolute best you as a person can make it. And for me, I think that's been very much my design mantra and my attitude towards this is that, you know, every aspect of these journals, every curve, every, you know, design, every piece, everything, that all of those have been very carefully thought through. And I have experimental prototypes of almost everything in a variety of formats. Like everything, every time you guys pick up a journal that, that I made, it's not the first one. It's actually the, the 10,000th version of it. And I'm constantly slightly tweaking the design to see if there's ways to get more out of this because mm. you know, the thing that is, it's like every aspect was was very deeply, deeply thought out. And, and it's true. I, I wanted the experience that I wanted when people to pick up these journals, I wanted it to be something where they realize how deep this history goes, how deep this tradition goes, because we are, as creatures are, are embodied, right? We experience the world through, through senses, through our taste, our touch, our feel. And leather is something that, when you pick it up, it's, it's got this primal connection to the earth, to our past. And, mm-hmm. and so, you know, I want people to be able to experience that when they work with this. And that's why we use the best leather. And we don't sacrifice quality by going with something cheap. Is because, you know, that, that experience, that physical manifestation and that, that, um, that, that experience that people have emotionally when they interact with these things, that's what we're going for. That's way more valuable than anything else, right? That's, that's the part of this that makes it beyond a journal, right? It makes it more than just a place to write things down. And it's through that we can find inspiration. It's through that, that experience, that, that awakening of, of, of interacting. Even if it's in a small way, that means something to people. And that's why for me, I really, really developed this with a deep, deep heart and passion for me. And actually that's why my weakness, my biggest weakness is I do not take criticism of the product very well. You know, there's emails that I get every so often from people who, they get the product and they write an email and nasty is the wrong word. They're not nasty emails. They're emails where people are just they're. I can feel that they're upset. I can feel that they're angry. I can feel that they're disappointed. And, you know, it's as a, as a creator, as a designer, as someone who put my heart and soul into that, I, that breaks my heart every time. Yeah, yeah. And actually it breaks my heart in a lot of ways. Cause it breaks my heart. I feel for them. Right. I want, I, I feel the pain they feel feel that it's not what they wanted it to be right Mm -hmm. i get that and i deeply feel that and it makes me sad because it's like i wanted it to be that thing for them and it's sad that it wasn't and you know so i I think that that would be you know if i was talking about what what would be my weakness and what would be the one thing that i struggle with the most personally it's it's realizing that you cannot please all the people all the time even with your best effort true True. and that's difficult it's really really difficult yeah, and it's even hard, I'm sure, even when they're, they're pretty much attacking your baby in this sense. In this sense. Yeah. You know, they're going out there I so mean, yeah, you create with your own hands. Absolutely. And I think that that's something where it can be very easy to get very personal mm-hmm. and to feel like the attack is personal. And that's where I actually really blessed my wife. Um, my wife is actually very good at customer service, and she handles a lot of our, our customer service emails. Um, I mean, she was out for maternity leave this last month, which was very difficult, and that was the whole thing. But um, but but she does an incredible job being able to kind of because it's not it wasn't it's not her design right it's not something that she made she's able to separate create that distance and so you know that maybe that's maybe that and that's been a really good 
uh, a good thing for us together to work on is to say, okay, well, I'm not going to necessarily deal with the emails of people who hate the product because I'm the wrong person to deal with them. That, yeah. that Leah might be much, much better suited to be to be able to empathize without taking it personally, without taking the insult or you know, the, the, the the complaint as a as a personal affront. And I think that's been you know something that's been a competitive advantage for the two of us. I think in our relationship as well as in our company's relationship with our customer is that that separation can exist with her. It, it is hard to separate like the business side and the creative side. You're trying to create this this uh, this product or this poem, whatever it is, and then you have the criticisms. Like, okay, well, or you have the the strategicness of trying to get get it done. When they blend together, it's so structured because you split your head in in two different separate directions. Because you want it to look good, but then you also need to be savvy on how think the business side of it. You know, <laughs> so I, I know it's Absolutely. it's very stressful. Absolutely. And I think that there's a lot of times, and, and we have been blessed in, the, in our company's history to have um, the to have such a, a such a supportive uh, community. You know, we have you know, I, I of all people understand that there it takes time to write a review, and not everyone does it. Not everyone has mm-hmm. the time for it. Mm-hmm. You know, and so but, but we had such a wonderful community, and and sometimes it's just a small comment on a post on Instagram where they're like, "Hey, I love my product. I, I got it. It's my favorite." You know, sometimes people go out and write actually a review of our stuff on Facebook and they write a good review on Facebook, um, which is a lot more intensive of a process. But, you know, those are the kinds of things where it's like, just like a critical word can cut deep, a positive word, you know, a really, a really good review, it's just, it makes my day, it makes my week in some cases. And, you know, we have almost a hundred good reviews, a hundred five-star reviews on our products on Facebook. And it's like, when I'm stressed, when I'm struck, you know, when I'm worried about this, all I have to do is go and look at those things. It's like, it's like, it's just, it's the most encouraging thing. It's, it's why we're doing this. And it makes me feel really, really, really um, supported. And so yeah. I, I have to be ob- honest about, you know, how, how invital I think it is for all artists to create a community of people that mm. like their stuff and surround themselves with that. Because if you don't have that, all you have is your, the craziness in your head and the craziness of the people out there who are criticizing you, if you don't have that positive community to back you up and to support you, it can be so difficult. It can be so difficult to not just get constantly disheartened. I'm, I'm glad you said that because I just had a conversation last night with a, a really close friend of mine, another poet, on trying to build a community of people who are supporting you. And that's a difficult journey. <laughs> You're trying to, it's, it is difficult and it's not at the same time. It's just, you just need oh, that. Yeah. You just find that, that correct formula in order to get there. Well, and I think that, you know, people, particularly in the creative sphere, can sometimes be, um, it's both for financial practical reasons and also for sometimes personal pride reasons. But a lot of times, particularly, for example, people on Instagram, we built our company, I built my company by running, by boosting a post for $20 and having the link go back to our profile. That was the foundational tactic that built our company. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I did that was because I wanted people to connect with our company first before I sold them something. I wanted them to connect. Mm -hmm. I wanted them to look, I wanted them to look at the image and then I wanted them to look at all of our images. And then I wanted them to go just take a look at our website. Like I wanted to connect with people first and then work on selling, you know, selling them something because I, because by the same token of, it's your ethical responsibility to make the best thing you can. It's also your ethical ability or ethical responsibility to not sell things to people that don't need them. Right. Right. So for us, 
I wanted to create a relationship with our community because I wanted to do two things. I wanted to show people that they can, that this does help them, that this is something they need. And I also wanted to help them say, you know, to determine if that's something that they need or not, because that A, makes people a lot happier in the end, and B, is the most responsible thing for me to do. And I think for artists, they, they shouldn't turn their nose up on running, on taking that poem that they wrote and running it as a boosted post for two or three days mm-hmm. for $20 a day, if they can, right? If they have the financial capability of doing that, because what's going to happen is, is that's going to show their poem to so many people. Mm-hmm. And suddenly I think they're going to start seeing that there are people who are going to be attracted to it, right? There's this concept, I think, in the world of this concept of organic growth, right? Everything needs to be organic, right? You need to have yeah. a, a completely organic following and never spend any money. And I think that's wrong because I think the problem is, is the world we have is built in such a noisy way that there's a lot of people out there who are excellent creators who make good things and who are never seen because they because the formula doesn't show them to yeah. other people. Right. And the way to jumpstart that, the way to get around that is to, to, to pay for a little bit of promotion. And, you know, it doesn't have to be $20 a day. It could be $2 a day for five days, right? Something is better than nothing. Anything is better than nothing. Yeah, yeah. And if you can do that, you're going to end up finding that you're going to start to, to build an audience, to build a, a group of people. And that audience is going to be, they're going to have their own ability to build you up in a way that's going to make you better. And I think that's very, very powerful for people. And it's been de- definitely encouraging for me. I mean, that's, that's how we've been able to do this, right? If it wasn't for our community, we had 300 followers July of 20, uh, 2018. We had 300 followers July of 2018. By the end of 2018, we had 10,000. Mm. By the end of 2019, we had 88,000. Mm. I think we hit 90,000 the other day. You know, okay. so we're, Congratulations. We're, we're building that. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, some of these numbers are meaningless. They truly are. But what what they what they can allude to, what they can reference, is that building something can be something that people can do together, and building a community is something that needs to be done together, and. You know, sometimes it takes a little bit of uh, a little bit of financial financial wherewithal to make that happen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, as an artist, if you can figure out a way to monetize your skill in a small way, in any way, then all of a sudden you can turn your art into a self-sustaining thing, right? Then you mm-hmm, can, mm-hmm. you know, then you can turn it into something that 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 can support itself. For me, this was a hobby. This was something I did for fun. Mm-hmm. This was something I did on my off days. And the company got started because I worked as a graduate assistant for the dean of the business school, who was a wonderful friend and mentor. And I was graduating and leaving, and I wanted to give him a gift. And so I designed some. So I, I, I sat down at the drawing board and I said, I want to make something that will fit him personally. Because I know he's always on the go. He's in important meetings. He deals with a lot of paper. And so I designed the number one binder. And I gave it to him as a gift. And he turned it around and said, this is amazing. And he bought 30 of them for the school of business. Oh, nice. And that's how we got started. I took all that money and I turned it back into advertising and raw materials and, and we put stuff on Amazon. And so it was a hobby. It was a hobby that suddenly I was able to turn into something that was more than a hobby. And that's how it can become for a lot of people. They just can, can, can step up to the bat and, and, and figure out a way to kind of make that happen. It's, this is what I'm talking about, how people's lives and stories are so poetic. And I appreciate you telling that, you know, sharing that. And Man, like I said, it's that 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 really warmed my heart. You saying just it was just something you didn't expect. You did something. You felt compelled to do it. You gave this gift. You weren't expecting it to turn to thirty. 
you know, just be like, just appreciation from the person. And look at this now, you have your own business. Um, I, I didn't say before, but congratulations on the new baby. Um, you have a, yeah, thank you, thank <laughs> you. That's, that's a whole new adventure. <laughs> you know, um, I know I, I didn't want to keep you too, too, too long. Uh, I know you gotta go back to your family and take care of, you know, the house and everything. So, um, do you want to plug, you know, your Instagrams, any of the, um, to connect, everybody yeah, can find absolutely. you. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, one final word is you're never too old to do it. You're never too old to start it all t- tomorrow. Is, it, is it going to be a good day? Today is a good day to start. Yesterday would have been a good day to start. You can always do it. You can do it and you can start now. So don't wait because it's never going to be perfect. And if you want to learn more about what we do here, you want to check us out, go listen to my podcast, MurdyCreative.co. Um, normally it's bi-weekly Tuesdays and Thursdays. I'm doing my best to get back onto that, that schedule. Uh, we have 190 something episodes available. If you want to go back and listen to some of the historical ones, they are chronological. So you can obviously go back and listen to it. When I started the company back while I was still at my corporate job last, you know, in August of 2018. And then I, you can watch me as I take that journey through that, those first steps. Um, that's available on all the places that podcasts are available. Also um, go check us out on Instagram. That's kind of our biggest and most thriving community. Um, that's, uh, murdycreative.co m-u-r-d-y creative.co you can check that out on, on instagram and facebook we have a pretty good community on facebook as well you can also check us out on twitter at murdycreativeco no dot murdycreativeco um that's a much smaller community but it's also a community where if you want to get a hold of me twitter is a very easy place to get a hold of me quickly because i check twitter because that's a smaller community same thing with our snapchat murdycreativeco no dot um, I do sometimes I do behind the scenes stuff on Snapchat. We're also on TikTok now, MurdayCreative.co on TikTok, and that's actually become a really fun platform to try some new experimental stuff. That's been just really enjoyable. So go check that out if you want to check that out. Also, you can check out our website, MurdayCreative.co, on our website, M-U-R-D-Y Creative.co. That's got all of our pipelines. Uh, there's a contact form. If you want to send us messages, you can send me a message at sales at MurdayCreative.co. Um, we're always happy to, to talk and to help and, you know, that's, we want a relationship with you. So if you're interested in a relationship with us, just, just reach out. We're happy to make it happen. So, um, thank you so much, Alan, for having me on. I mean, this was a great time. And I, uh, I, I thought when I first got on this in like an hour, I don't know if I'm going to be able to talk for an hour, but now <laughs> we're at an hour. We're now we're longer than an hour almost. So, yeah, uh, it's uh, an hour, okay. an hour and two. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I, can keep, I can keep on going. Like, so, uh, I have a lot more things I want to ask you, but. Yeah, that, we can save that for another time. Absolutely. We'll do another podcast in, in the future here. We'll, we'll, we'll do a part two. So that sounds thank good. you so much for having me on. And no problem. Thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. You know, and um, I really hope that everybody does go out and you know, check out your product because I love it. That's, <laughs> I, I'm actually looking at it right now in front of me. That's where I keep my notes at. Well, that means the world to me. All right, everybody. You know, thank you, Colin, again. And check him out. You can find me, Sacred Haiku. S-A-R-S-A-C-R-E-D-H-I-K-U on Instagram. And remember, everybody, vibes do not lie.